0: For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. We've been talking about the Holy Spirit and His gifts during these Wednesday night services recently. Uh, We've already talked about some, but we're going to talk about more this evening. And we've talked about the fact that they're spiritual or supernatural manifestations of the Spirit of the Living God. They are not natural in nature, they're not something that we learn. It's not natural abilities or anything of that nature. It's all supernatural, it's all spiritual. It is God manifesting Himself in a specific way. In the lives of his people. Now, each and every individual child of God can yield himself to the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and also be used in the gifts of the Spirit as well. For the given to every man to profit with all. In other words, to benefit the whole church. But each and every one has a gifting, and uh, we can yield to that. It's up to us, first of all, to come and receive the Holy Spirit, and then as he wills, he can drop these gifts into our lives. As we continue our study, we talked about the word, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the discerning of spirits, which are the revelation gifts. But we're going to continue talking about the uh, vocal gifts or the inspirational gifts. And they are prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And we'll start with prophecy. But look at John's gospel, chapter 7, verses uh, 37 through 39. Here, Jesus, in the last great day of the feast, and that last day the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the spirit that they which believe on him should receive because for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. You know, it's one thing when you first start reading something like that, if you don't understand the background of the history that's behind it. Then we just read those words and, you know, that's the wonderful things that Jesus said. And we should believe if we believe on him, we should receive the Holy Ghost. But in actuality, there's a whole lot of history behind it. It's a revelation that Jesus is giving them of his messianic ministry. Actually revealing to them that he is the Messiah. It's a revelation of the fact that he is the light of the world. And it's also a revelation of the fact that he's going to come back again. See, this was called the last day of this feast, which was the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated every year. It was the last of the seven feasts. And one of the three pilgrimages, they they were supposed to make to Jerusalem for the celebration of this Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And they would build this little, uh, I guess you would just call it some little, room on the side of their house like a hut and they would live in that hut for the whole entire week it was going to it was a revelation of the fact that they remembered how when they came out of Egypt they were in those little huts those tents throughout the wilderness experience and it reminded them of the fact that God brought them out God protected them God provided for them and so on well as they began this feast on the very first day of the feast what they would do is have now you can guess different different Oh, information about how they celebrated it. Maybe back initially when it was first initiated uh, in the day of Jesus, when that took place and what they're even doing right now. But anyhow, to put it in in a nutshell, we'll put it like this. The priest would go to the pool of Siloam with this great picture or that filled up with water, which was supposed to be clean. Back in the day, way in the beginning, it was the uh, wasn't just the pool of Siloam. I believe it was a, a spring. Uh, and he would fill it up and then some say the priest did it themselves and some say the people were with them. They would come back to the temple. They would go to the temple and the moment they entered into the temple, there would be the sh- the shofar blowing, shouts and jubilee and rejoicing. It was really a feast of joy and rejoicing. As a matter of fact, some of the historians back then said, if you never attended one of these water libations, then you have yet to really have a life of joy. When you went there at that time, when they walked in, there was such pomp and circumstance. There was such a play of the shofar and the whole thing that was going on. There was shouts of joy like you couldn't even imagine among the people. Well, that happened for six, for seven days. But on the last day, the eighth day, this great day of the feast, they didn't do that. It got real quiet. See, so but all this joy and jubilation taking place during the first seven days. And then during this time, it got real quiet and they didn't go down and get the water. They didn't come back up and have all the shout and all that. And so when it got real quiet, Jesus stood up and shouted and said, On that last day, that great day of the feast, if any man's thirsty, you see, as they poured the water out before the altar, it reminded them of the 11 million gallons of water that came out of a rock every single day to meet their need. It reminded them in that hut they were living in, it was a thatched like roof and building that they put together as the wind blew through, that it was cold out there and God protected them with a cloud by day and a fire by night. It reminded them as they looked up to the stars of the covenant that they had with the living God. And the the, the history of it goes on and on and on and on. But the point is, when Jesus made that statement, he was preparing them for the advent of the Holy Ghost and letting them know that the true water of life is right there with them, tabernacling with them. See, the last feast was tabernacles. This was the culmination of all the feasts. This was the end of it all. And we know that for 1,000 years, there's going to be the Feast of Tabernacles, which means Jesus living on earth with us for 1,000 years in his millennial reign. But can you imagine what took place when he stood up and shouted, You thirsty? Here I am. Come and drink. He was identifying himself as the Messiah. He was identifying himself as the light of the world. And he was letting them know, I'll be back again after you have your way with me. Now, he wanted them to receive the Holy Ghost. But of course, Jesus wasn't glorified, so he wasn't yet given. We know that. But he was preparing them. As you can see throughout John's gospel, his emphasis is chapter 14, 15, 16, is the Holy Spirit coming in and taking his place and doing the work that he does in the life of the believer today. So that's what we're talking about. But what a wonderful manifestation they had right before their eyes to see that he's our Messiah. They should have known that just by that itself. Well, they didn't. Jesus said, every believer who believes on him should receive the Holy Ghost. So my question is: has have we all received the Holy Ghost? You say, Well, I thought I received the Holy Ghost when I got saved. Yeah, I received him in the new birth. But there's also a spirit baptism. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And fire, and so if you haven't received the Holy Ghost that way, then you're a prime candidate to receive him. And you should receive him according to what we just read there in that passage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're talking about the gift of prophecy tonight. And we read these words where Paul penned these words about these manifestations of the Spirit. Chapter 12 and verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. You can see all three of those vocal gifts right there in that verse. Prophecy, diverse kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And so prophecy is the first one that we'll look at tonight. But look at verse 31, just for a moment. Look at this verse. But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show you, under you, a more excellent way. Notice the word covet. It means to desire something strongly. We should desire the best gifts. A strong, earnest desire that we have to experience or walk in the reality of these gifts. And you're going to see that, well, matter of fact, look at it right now. Look at verse 39 of chapter 14. Look at what it says. Wherefore, brethren, covet. Remember he said covet the best gifts? Covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Why is he saying covet to prophesy? Because tongues... And interpretation of tongues are two gifts that work together to make the one gift of prophecy. So it takes two to equal the one. So if you look at it this way, in, in, uh, let's say, coin way, a dime is two nickels put together. Right? So you can see these other two gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, make the one, The dime, one, the gift of prophecy. So it takes both of them to equal prophecy. So he's saying covet to prophesy. Forbid not to speak in tongues, but to covet, he said, to prophesy. So we see the better gift in a local body of believers would be what? Prophecy rather than tongues and interpret, unless they're interpreted. Now, if they're interpreted, then they equal the same gift. But it takes two in order to do that. So prophecy is the first one. It's defined as a supernatural utterance inspired by the spirit of God in a language known by the person that is speaking. So you would be in your English language where you may be speaking and the spirit of God would move upon you in a very profound and powerful way. And the utterance that would come out of you would be spirit inspired. And that's called prophecy. So, as he moves and as he wills, we can make ourselves available to be used by him in this manner, but something that is of prophecy can come flowing out of your innermost being. Notice he's talking about water that's coming not out of a rock, like 11 million gallons of water coming out of a rock. He said, if you receive him out of your belly, a better word is out of your stomach, will flow rivers of life-giving water. Imagine that. All that water that came out of the rock, which is what they were celebrating during that particular time, uh, during the Feast of uh, Tabernacles, all this water will become out of your innermost being or out of your belly or out of your stomach. So now his focus is what? On the inward part of a man who's been born again and spirit-filled, and now you've got this resource on the inside of you that, praise God, he wants to unleash. You realize in Ephesians 3.20, we are told that God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that's at work. Where? In us. in us. So it's in us. He's made this deposit in us and he's available to us. But it's up to us to yield to the Holy Spirit, to give ourselves over to the Spirit so he can manifest himself through us. In this life. The purpose of this gift is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Look at this. This prompting of the Spirit of God has a purpose. Well, what's the purpose? He that prophesies speaks not unto speaks unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaks in an unknown tongues edifies himself. Notice the distinct difference here. But he that prophesies edifies the church. So what gift in the church seems to be more productive? Prophecy. Prophecy. Tongues only if it's interpreted. But like I said, that takes two. This one is to be coveted by the people of God so that we can speak for God and speaking forth. Okay. It's not predicting. We'll see that in just a moment. But God moves upon your heart and something comes out of you that was of the spirit. This anointing comes on you. This prompting comes on you. This inspiration rises up within you and you just speak it out. Now, to edify or edification, what it means is to strengthen someone. To strengthen, to build someone up. So you build yourself up by praying in tongues, but then you build other people and strengthen other people up by prophecy so once again you're prophesying you prophesy something it's something that builds someone up take it into the area of exercise you want to go run a marathon if you never run one you better not start tomorrow running a marathon you better start building yourself up little by little to get to that place that you're able to do that you want to enter a weightlifting contest i guarantee you don't start if you haven't lifted weights in 10 years you've got to exercise you've got to Build yourself up to that place. You got to get strengthened to get to that place to do it. Same thing here. People are being strengthened. They're being built up to through this edification of the gift called prophecy. So also we see um, exhortation. To exhort means to draw near or call near. It means to cheer someone up, to encourage someone. So this off, this this gift called prophecy is building someone up, calling someone near, encouraging him or her in a very special way. And if you think about the way, it's almost beyond our comprehension. It's almost as if that God uses your voice to say something he wants to say to someone. Can you imagine that? He takes over your voice to say something to someone because you see you're his conduit. He's working through you and he hits you at a moment of time and it just flows out of you and he's used your voice. You know, we oftentimes will say, we're his hands, we're his feet, we're his mouthpiece in the earth. What does that really mean? He's taken us over. He's consumed us. He's entered into us. And now he's releasing his thoughts through our lips to someone. Hmm. And then also to comfort means to console someone. It means to cheer someone up. It means to encourage someone. And so as this gift is in operation through a person's life, you could be witnessing to somebody when all of a sudden something just hits you and it comes out of you, it flows out of you, and it's exactly what that person needed to hear. That's the simple gift of prophecy in manifestation. You could be talking, you could be preaching like I am right now. And all of a sudden something just takes over and you just blurt something out that you didn't even expect to come out. But once again, it's God moving by his spirit upon your life, my life, or whoever is doing the speaking or talking or teaching. It flows out of you and gives, gives direction maybe to someone or insight to someone or it just encourages somebody. So the simple gift of prophecy in itself, the simple manifestation of it is to edify exhort and comfort there is no element of future predictions like many think and I think a lot of believers got caught up and stuff like that and got into trouble so let's start looking at what it's not Deuteronomy 13 verses 1 through 4 gives us insight as to what it's not it is not fortune telling if there arise among you a prophet Notice he calls him a prophet or a dreamer of dreams or giveth thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee saying let us go after other gods which thou hast not known and let us serve them thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. So just because someone calls himself a prophet, someone calls himself a dreamer, doesn't mean that what they say is coming from God. That's why God has given us his holy written word so that everything can be tested and tried by the word of God. If it were not for the word of God, we would have no frame of reference to determine whether or not what they're saying is truly of God. And so the Lord instructs us, don't get involved with psychics, astrologers, or false prophets. Anybody remember the name Jean Dixon? Yeah, right. She was an American self-proclaimed psychic astrologer. And, and she claimed that her ability came from God. That she was a you know, pro- someone who prophesied for God. Well, most of her predictions did not come true whatsoever. And if they don't come true, then other verses tell us they should be stoned to death. I would think that God takes that seriously, wouldn't you? Absolutely. I I think there was another one that was out. I don't even know. Was it called the New York um, psychic? Something like that or Long Island psychic or something. Yeah, here's a medium. Now, the thing is, they get themselves involved because they want to be able to be used like this to get this supernatural stuff going in their lives. And what they fail to realize is they open themselves up to familiar spirits. And, you know, familiar spirits are familiar with people's lives who have lived and died. And so they will accommodate anybody who really wants to get so involved, so deeply involved in these kind of manifestations They'll accommodate and show certain things that are really true. But it's really not the spirit of Almighty God. So it's a dangerous thing to put yourself out there and just to think, well, you know, I'm sorry to say it. But years ago, especially in the early charismatic movement, people got over off into a tangent and they started doing things like, let's gather together and let's see. What are you getting? I don't know. What are you getting? I don't know. What are you getting? What are you getting? I'm getting tired right now. You know, what are you really getting? Okay. Okay. Yeah, you you get mad. You, You open yourself up to wrong spirits and that's not what God would have us to do. We need to walk close to the Lord, close to the word and try everything by the word of God alone, period. Now, we should never confuse this simple prophecy with the prophetic and as far as prediction goes, because the prophetic office is a genuine office. It differs somewhat from the Old Testament in the New Testament, but it still can carry that element of prediction for the future. So we're not saying that it doesn't. We're saying for the average person who is not in the office of a prophet, for have this in manifestation should be to, for edification, exhortation, and comfort, and not prediction. And I'll tell you why it's gotten a lot of people in trouble. Number two, it's not God's primary means by which. He gives us guidance or direction. In the book of Romans, we are told, chapter 8, look at these verses here, verses 14 through 16. For as many as are led by the Long Island prophet, or mean, whatever. No. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit... Itself or himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What he's saying is there is a way that God directs and leads his people. And it's all within. It's on the inside. As a matter of fact, if someone prophesies over you, I guarantee you if it doesn't confirm something that's already in you, put that thing on the shelf and do nothing with it until you get before God. Because you see, if it doesn't confirm something that God's already put in you, That is probably not for you. Now, lives have been ruined. Marriages have been destroyed because people like this, they just want to prophesy over anyone and everyone. And I've been in meetings like that before where all that took place. And just give me a moment now, share a few things. But here was a woman that was prophesied over. And what was stated to her was that her mother was going to die Uh, Within six months. Well, guess what? She didn't. Then her husband was going to leave her within a year. And guess what? He didn't. And so here are people spewing out things, saying things to try to direct people's lives or to give them some kind of insight. And they don't come to pass. It's not true. Um, I was in a meeting. This was up in Pittsburgh some years ago. And everybody went to the front and everybody was prophesied over. And I had someone come over and just say, "Uh, this is what's prophesied over to me. What do you think? I said, does it confirm something that's in your spirit? Absolutely not. Not at all. Well, what is it? Well, God's going to send me over to some foreign country. I said, no, he said, I don't have that at all in my life. I said, well, then you need to put that on the shelf. Seek the face of God before you respond. And anyway, I had another one. This is when this is all the way back in the church in Midland in my office who came in and said, I've been prophesied over that God has made me a prophet and teacher. I said, oh, okay. What can I do for you? I want you to teach me how to do both. (laughs) I I said, what? That's not how this works. If God's going to call you, he will anoint you. He will appoint you. He will equip you He'll give you all the insight that you need to do what he's called you to do. I said, did that bear witness with your spirit? He goes, "Uh uh-uh, I'm afraid of that. (laughs) Well, then don't even put it on the shelf. (laughs) Just get rid of it. Let God lead and direct you by his spirit on the inside of you. Stop putting all this stock in people, you know, that are just out there doing all this. I'm not saying there's not some legitimate. I'm not at all. But a lot of people, especially back in that day, got off on tangents and were just trying to direct people's lies through this pro- supposedly prophetic gift. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1. This is something to live by. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the Holy Mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so we have a more sure word of prophecy and sometimes people don't want to go to the book go to the Bible to find out what it really says because they want someone else to do the work for them just lay hands on me and you know, prophesy over me and tell me what God wants to do in my life well that's not how we should live our lives we should live our lives by the book thank you for your enthusiasm Amen. we should live our lives by the teaching of God's word Amen. and then if someone prophesies over us Go to the Bible and make sure that it's there, chapter and verse, line upon line, precept upon precept, that you know this is what God would have. For example, when it comes to prophecy, you can come in, into a person's life and say something like, this one person heard that it wasn't God's will to heal him. And he took that to the bank. It's not God's will to heal me. It doesn't matter to me who tells you it's not God's will to heal you. Don't believe it. <laughs> Don't buy it. Well, what did he do with it? He was so adamant about it, actually left the ministry because he was sick. Left the ministry. It's not God's will to heal me. It's not God's will to heal me. It's not God's will to heal me. It took someone finally coming along, getting in touch with him, sitting him down and opening up the Bible and showing him scriptures that reveal to us it is the will of God. For every person to be whole. You know what? It took him time. But finally, it got through to him. When he read the scriptures that point out that God wants us well, he finally believed it. Then he went to God. And guess what? He got healed and went back into the ministry. The devil wants to control people's lives, guaranteed. And he will lie. As he always does. And if he could could use people to tell a lie, he will. Through prophecy, even through dreams. He could appear as an angel of light, you know. That doesn't mean he's a good angel. All right. Now, thirdly, it's not to be despised. Why is that listed here revealed in the scriptures? Look at the verse, 1 Thessalonians 5 quench not the spirit, despise not prophesying. Why would he say that? You can only imagine what was going on. All this prophesying was going on and people were getting to the point or to the place where they despised it. And so he had to encourage them, despise not prophesying. There's a legitimate side to it and there's a not so good side of it. I like to say it this way when there's a road there's a ditch on one side there's a ditch on the other side it seems like too often we get in one ditch or the other there's the ditch of extremism and then there's the ditch of so conservative that we want nothing to do with it but God wants us on the straight and narrow God wants us to walk in harmony with his word and will So we're to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, knowing that it is a true gift. We can walk in the light of it, receive even from it, but also be aware of the fact that we need to be, first of all, rooted and grounded in the word of God so that we know what's being spoken over our lives is true. So misuse can cause many to despise the gift and also to quench the spirit. So now what is it? Well, number one, it's inspired utterances that can encourage our faith. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 15. These first few verses here. And the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Odin. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him. Now notice the language here. This is simple prophecy. And if you seek him... He will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season, Israel has been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times, there was no peace to him that went out nor to him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. But but be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So here is just a simple prophecy giving to Asa. There's no prediction in it. It's just letting them know some things that came from the mind of God. A reminder of certain things. I remember one time being in the sanctuary right here. Brother Chuck and I were in the sanctuary. And we just spent a couple hours just worshiping God and uh, praying and, and all that. And just in the middle of all that, all of a sudden, it just fell on me. And it was, keep your armor bright, shining, and clean. That would be a word through prophecy of encouragement. Keep your armor bright, shining, and clean. Why? Well, because we know we have an enemy who wants to destroy, to kill, steal, and destroy. So when someone prophesies, it should be in simple form, encouraging someone, building someone up, and comforting someone, cheering someone up, it could be that someone walks in and maybe they're kind of down. and Maybe their faith is being challenged and they feel kind of weak in their faith. And You can hear the Spirit of God just moving inside you saying, lift up your head, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory will come in. He is your countenance. He's the glory and the lifter of your head. And all of a sudden they're impacted by what they're hearing. See, this is not a prediction or anything like that. It is a word of edification, exhortation, and comfort, cheering someone up, encouraging someone, calling them near to remind them of something that God already said. It could be something even like scripture coming out of you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget any benefit. Man, he forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. And as that's just flowing out of you, you could be talking to somebody on the street or in the store somewhere. And all of a sudden, that urge comes to you to spill that out of you. That's the simple gift of prophecy. And it's encouraging somebody. And all of a sudden, they tweak their faith and they rise up and overcome. So look at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter uh, 14. Asa basically was edified and built up and Asa set out and did the right thing. But that changed. But before we get to that, Asa did that, which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and broke down the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of their fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Also, he took away out of all the cities of Judah, the high places and the images and the kingdom was quiet before him. So we can see here that he may have been encouraged by the word that Ezra gave him. And, yeah, I'll learn from that experience and I'll do the right thing because it blessed them and blessed me just as that was, say, prophesied. But then look at 2 Chronicles 16. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because thou hast relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord thy God, therefore is the host of the king of Syria escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge host and very many chariots and horsemen, yet because thou didst rely on the Lord, he delivered them into thine hand? For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those or them whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore, from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Now we see a prophet using this gift in a different way. Now he is predicting what's going to take place in the future because of his disobedience and not following what he was prophesied over to follow from before. So now we see him having some issues. And if you go on, read about the life of, of Asa. Do you know he never turned back to the Lord? After all that God did initially in his life, he got to the place that even when he was sick in his feet, he sought not the Lord, but to the sorcerers and died. He was diseased in his feet. You know, so once again, God uses these gifts to encourage us. And also, in this case, the prophetic case, where you're a prophet and operating in this, to turn, turn this man's life around and stop the judgment from coming upon him. But he, re- he refused to do it. So we have two examples here that, re- that reveal both aspects of prophecy. Secondly, it's inspired utterances that can help us fight battles. Anybody want help fighting a battle? Well, First Timothy 1, 18, 19, look at this. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck. So here he's instructing him. I'm sure we don't have a revelation of this, but whatever was prophesied over his life, I'm assuming through prophets gave him some prophetic revelation about certain things he might encounter as a young person in ministry. Remember and hold fast onto those prophecies and you can use them and fight a good warfare by them. So there's help for us when it comes to fighting. Now in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we have somewhat of a revelation of this given to us. This is the example of Jehoshaphat if you recall, when he was being attacked. Verses 15 through 17, we won't read the whole thing. You should know the story. If not, very briefly, three armies were coming against the people of Judah to destroy them, to eliminate them, until so, they were extinct, just to remove them from the planet. And in the process, what happens is Jehoshaphat prays and seeks the face of God, calls all the people, the women, the children, to come together to fast and pray, And seek the face of God for help along the way. And the spirit of the Lord comes upon the prophet. Look at verse 15. He said, hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem and thou king Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you. This is prophecy. Be not afraid nor dismayed by the reason of this great multitude. There's comfort right there. There's encouragement right there. That's the simple form of it for the battle's not yours but God's. Tomorrow. See, sometimes we read a verse like that and we just, oh, okay. Can you imagine if you really if we were really aware of the fact that the battle's not mine? And someone comes up to you and wants to have a war with you and you say, you step aside. What are you doing? Your battle's with Jesus, not me. And he's going to fight for me? He said I'll fight for you. Didn't he say that? So i let them fight for me. Now we see the shift. Tomorrow, go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. And you know the rest of the story. So we see through this simple gift called prophecy, there is encouragement, but then also we see added to that is the word of wisdom, a revelation of what's going to take place tomorrow. So through prophecy, sometimes these work together. Through prophecy, these two hand in hand provided victory and deliverance for the people. But why first the simple form is is used to encourage them? Because that's what they needed. They needed to know that we're not alone. They needed to know that God's on our side. He will fight for us. He will defend us. He will go before us. And you know what? All you got to do is just go out there and praise him. Wouldn't that be a wonderful revelation? That's all I got to do is praise him. But now go to Acts chapter 21. Verses 8 through 11. And the next day, we that were with, we were of Paul's company, departed and came into Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did what? His daughters prophesied. And as we tarried there many days, they came down from Judea, a certain prophet. Now notice the distinct difference here. These other these girls prophesied. But this one's Agabus is a prophet. And so we see both examples of the simple form of prophecy. And you're going to see here uh, the prophetic being manifested through the word of wisdom too. So his name is Agabus. And when he was come unto us. He took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet and said thus saith the Holy Ghost so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owns this girdle and shall deliver him to the hands of the Gentiles. So he now gives a revelation. This is the prophet revealing something that's going to take place when he gets to Jerusalem. So the girls, I don't believe, said anything like that. They could have just spoke words of edification, exhortation, and comfort, cheering someone up, encouraging someone, comforting someone, and so on. But the prophet had a revelation come from God and through prophecy, it was revealed to him what was going to take place if he went there. And of course, Paul says, I'm ready to go there and do what I have to do. Well, all believers are told to covet to prophesy because that's the greater gift of the three. Covet to prophesy. Be someone that God can use to speak through to someone else. Well, what should I do to qualify myself? Number one, you've got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. But number two, we should be versed in the scriptures. We should know what the word teaches. God doesn't act apart from us. He also uses us and he can use us in various ways. And as a result, he can speak his mind to people's lives through this simple gift of prophecy. And I'm telling you something right now. People's lives have been spared as a result. People that were out to commit suicide have been stopped through the simple gift of prophecy. And when God moves upon a person's heart to share something that's encouraging, something that can cheer someone up, encourage somebody, lift somebody up in spirit, it is God manifesting himself and he will speak to that person's heart and mind and turn that situation around. But this is the first of the three gifts, just prophecy. And in church, now listen, when you're If you're the Corinthians and you're in church the way they were, there was so much tongue talking going on and so many tongue messages in tongues and all that going on. That's probably where they got despising prophecy or or these manifestations. Well, if we covet to prophesy, you're going to edify the whole church because they can understand what you're saying. If you're going to speak in tongues and deliver a message, That doesn't stand alone. It needs someone to interpret the message. So Paul was saying, if we're following the example of what he teaches, that in the public ministry, we should cover to what? Prophesy. So in the beginning of the charismatic movement, it was like tongue after tongue after tongue after tongue after tongue, but waiting on someone to give the interpretation. But he said, look, cover to prophesy. Because when God moves upon your heart and gives you a message for the church or for a person or whatever. That's coming directly from your belly straight to that person or straight to the church. There's no need of interpretation. Amen. And You know what? You can fight a good fight by doing so. Let's stand together before the Lord.